Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith courses with Michael Lane. If you are enjoying our content and would like to hear more courses just like this one, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And while you are on the website, make sure to check out our other events and bookings. Our next big event is the Marine Biology Adventure Course for ages 14 and up. This introductory level marine biology course includes a variety of hands-on experiences and close encounters with God's creation. This is one of the most budget-friendly marine biology programs in the country and the only one with a core Christian foundation. To find out more about this program, visit evidenceforfaith.org marinebiology or check the events tab on the website. You can find these links and more in the description below. Thank you for listening and enjoy the course. Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's Michael Lane, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me again as we continue in our series on Abide With Me and looking at the passage um, from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And this is the third lesson in this series. So glad you're joining me. And this one I'm entitling, He Prunes. He Prunes. And as we get started with this, I, I want to tell you a story. You see, my dad had apple trees in our front yard, besides the trees I was telling you about in the last lesson, the maple and the, the oaks that he um, put in the yard. We grew, or I grew up with, um, with having apple trees in the front yard also. We had two trees. They didn't produce big apples. Uh, actually, they were a bunch of small, I think they were red delicious apples. I just know that they didn't have much flavor, and red delicious usually don't, in my opinion anyway. <clears throat> They were not too good to eat. I think everybody in the family would agree with us on that. One reason was they were small, and yeah, they didn't have little flavor, but they were small, little tiny apples. No, they're not crab apples or anything like that. They weren't sour. They just didn't have any taste to them. Then one day, my dad brought me outside with him to cut away some of the branches on the apple trees. As he was pruning one of the trees, he was cutting away some thin branches and... Um, others that were growing wildly from the trunk, and he sort of topped off the top of the tree. And I actually thought he was hurting the tree. <clears throat> I wasn't very old, wasn't knowledgeable about this. And when I protested my concern to him, he said that, well, these trees don't make good apples, and this is necessary to make good apples. He said that some of the branches were not producing, and he needed to remove them. They just weren't producing any fruit. <clears throat> The remaining branches attached to the trunk, he said, would make good fruit next time. You know something? He was absolutely right. The next year, we had larger and better apples on the branches that remained on the trunk. Now, Jesus often taught lessons about using agriculture as a basis to make his point. Now, the reason for this is that the Israelites were an agricultural society. They were not technologically advanced. No, they were not the advanced civilization with great art and machinery and stuff. They didn't have that. They were sort of uh, like a backwoods bunch of farmers in a way. They were 
agriculturally minded. <clears throat> now, when Jesus was teaching his disciples their lessons before going to the cross, as, as we've mentioned in this series, this is his last set of message before he goes and dies on the cross. He's teaching them, and he uses an analogy that they could visualize and comprehend. In this lesson, we will focus on a topic that actually is not too pleasant to many people, but it is a very, very important lesson. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's teaching a very, very important lesson. He knows his time is limited here before his death on the cross, and he's going to teach them about the Father is a pruning God. So let's go to prayer, and we'll get started with this by reading the passage. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity of opening up your word again and gleaning from it. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do the teaching here, that it will impact our lives and even give us self-examination time that we can look and see what you have put here for us that we can apply to our own lives and to glorifying you. So teach us what you would have us know in your Son's name and for his glory. Amen. Our passage, again, is John 15, 1 through 11. And as I have in the other lessons, I want to read that whole paragraph to you. Then we're going to focus on a section of it. It begins, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, let's focus, first of all, on this verse number two in this paragraph, John 15, 2. And again, we've been looking at this through the English Standard Version. But five, or 15, 2 reads, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. <clears throat> Interesting. Notice first that there are two sets of branches that are being described here. One that, well, they don't bear fruit, and one that does bear fruit. So who are these branches? Who's Jesus using this analogy, figuratively speaking of? Well, it's obvious that the branches that bear fruit are true Christians who are walking close with God and spending time getting well-nourished from the Word and time spent with God. 
But who are the other branches then that are not bearing fruit? Well, to answer that, let's examine what has transpired that night 2,000 years ago. Jesus was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. At the time of this discourse, he has eaten and even washed his disciples' feet and has told them told them that one of them is a devil and will betray him. At that point, Judas gets up and he leaves. Jesus now begins his last instructions with those remaining. These are the good branches. Judas and his kind are the bad branches. They were never real or attached to the true vine. The non-fruit-bearing branches are those who are unbelieving or false disciples. Judas is the classic example of this type of branch. Now think about this. These non-producing branches or false Christians are often at times indistinguishable from good branches. When both are together, it's really hard to tell them apart. In fact, when Jesus predicted his betrayer there at that meal, and even after he, he singled out Judas Iscariot, the others still didn't comprehend it. They didn't see it. After all, Judas was one of the leaders of their group. Yes, he was a leader of the disciples, because John chapter 13, verse 29 tells us that he's the one who held the money bag. He was the treasurer. Treasurers are one of the high officials of a group. And so he had that. He was a major player in the group. Like Judas, there are people who live a life apparently connected, visually it seems like, connected to Jesus, but really they're just hanging branches producing, if they produce anything, it's fake fruit many times. These Judas branches often hang around churches. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can see every now and then them carrying their Bibles. They have a really good talk. They have verses memorized at times, um, but it's all a facade. They're just superficially attached to the vine. Judas branches, well, they're, they're all around and are usually found in many churches and in many youth groups. I have seen many of these false branches in youth groups that I have led over the years or even been a part of when I was a teen, and I've seen many of these in churches, both growing up and even, even today. You find false branches if you look carefully and stuff. Now, Jesus taught many lessons about these false, unattached branches in his ministry. Let me just give you a, a few examples here. For instance, he talked about these, these type of people. He called them the tares among the wheat. And that was found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 25 through 30, tares of the wheat. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 48, he calls them bad fish. In Matthew 25, verses 25 through 30, he calls them goats that are condemned. In Luke chapter 13, verse 25 through 27, he refers to them as those who are left out, uh, standing outside. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, he describes them as foolish young maidens. 
And in Matthew 25, 24 through 30, he refers to them as useless slaves. He even describes them as diseased fruit trees when he talks about the judgment. He tells a parable and even sends them away. That's one of the saddest parts of the Bible. People sometimes ask me, Michael, you know, what's your favorite verse? And once in a while, I'll get asked, what is one of your least favorite passages in the Bible? Well, that's pretty easy for me to answer. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, verses 15 through 23, I think is the saddest passage in the Bible. And I know some other Christians and uh, who likewise say the same thing. Let me read you Matthew 7, 15 through 23. This is Jesus talking. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Oh, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown in the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow, that's pretty strong language coming from God. But did you notice what these false branches were doing? When they yelled out, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. In other words, they spoke um, sermons. They, they talked about uh, things directly, what they said was from God. So they prophesied. It says they cast out demons in his name. And it says they did mighty works in his name. But Jesus' response, I mean, they're... These people are expecting to be rewarded and to enter into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'll tell you, that's a scary, but it's, it's a terribly tragic passage that Jesus is describing of what's going to happen when some people come and face him in a judgment. They are non-abiding followers. They are false disciples of Christ. Oh, they do bear fruit, but it's not good fruit. And even today, there are false disciples all around us. Some well-known people who claim to be followers of Jesus have left the fold, and some are denouncing the actual gospel that they used to preach. I often get asked, how can that happen? How can people really do that? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Just looking at this passage here that we just read, the thing is, they were never true, really true followers of Jesus. They were, if I dare say, Judas Iscariot-type branches. 
That's why Jesus said in verse 6 of chapter 15 of John, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's talking about the final judgment of them. But a mark of all Christians, all Christians, is to bear good fruit. Recall what Paul wrote to the Ephesians about salvation. Most people know Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. They can quote it. It's a, a passage many people learn as a child. It reads, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Most people know that, that Paul is describing how we are saved, that we're saved through faith by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So we know this verse very well. But what, what is interesting is most people don't know the next verse, the very next sentence. They don't know that one. Look what it reads. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see that we were saved to do good things? We are not saved by doing good works. We're saved by faith through grace to do good works. True Christians bear good fruit. Unfortunately, in some Christians, you really have to look hard to see a grape or two on the vine. I mean, there are, I know some, I know many people like this that, I do believe they're probably Christians, but boy, there's hardly any fruit being produced. I mean, you have to look really hard to find even a couple of grapes of fruit coming from them. That's why they need to get pruned so that they will produce more fruit. Hence the analogy I gave you with the story of my apple, uh, the apple trees in the yard with my dad. These people, these Christians that are unfruitful, they are not abiding generally what it is. They're not abiding as they should be. Oh, how much potential is being wasted here. They need to get pruned. Now let's examine, I keep saying the word prune. Let's take that word prune that John uses in John 15 um, and see what this is. If you go to a, um, back into a, like an interlinear Bible or something, you're going to see it's the Greek word katharyo. Katharyo is a verb meaning to cleanse or to purify. That's what the word is, cathario. It was a word that the Jews would know very well due to their culture, and they knew how a gardener would cathario, if you will, a tree or a vine. Um, there were simple methods to this procedure, and we still use them today. Um, one, if it's a herbaceous plant, many times you just pinch off with your fingers um, the, the small branch to remove it. Or they would do a process, which is still done today, called topping. That's to remove a foot or two off the top of the tree. A gardener could thin a vine by removing sections or clusters or even new shoots just simply with a knife. Like I say, even today in nurseries and orchards, tree, trees are often pruned or cut back to produce more fruit. Isn't it interesting? You have to cut the tree back many times to get better fruit. Now listen carefully. Sometimes God prunes us Christians. 
It may appear that God is allowing some bad times to come upon us, and many people think that they're being punished or something, but sometimes what he's just doing, he's pruning, and it's not fun to go through. But we must remember what Jesus is saying here. It's going to make us stronger branches, capable of producing much more fruit and better fruit. Why does God do this pruning, and what's it look like? Well, the Father loves us very much. We must never lose sight of that, and he wants us to be really fruitful, just a, a, just an orchard of trees bursting out with all sorts of great fruit. Not just producing a good crop, but an abundant crop. So to do this, to strengthen us, to produce more fruit like that, he has to do some pruning. So he will, well, at times whack off some stuff in our lives. Stuff that may be sins or stuff holding us back. Things that hinder, hinder our, our abiding, our relationship with him. You see, sometimes we get parasites or a fungus like a tree would. Those things need to be removed. Some, sometimes I've seen here in the north woods of Wisconsin certain trees that'll have unwanted suckers uh, growths popping up at their base. Well, that doesn't help the tree. Those need to be removed because they're taking the nourishment and stuff that the main tree would be using. God has used tools to do this too. As a gardener would use a knife or clippers or something, God has tools available to him just as well he uses to prune or do this cathario in us. What are some of these tools, you might be wondering? What am I talking about? Well, one is sickness. Yep, sickness. He will sometimes use sickness or even hardships to teach us something, to make us better, to make us more fruitful. He may take something away from us, like a, a, a material object. He might even take a loved one away from us. He might even use persecution. That's one of his pruning tools also. In the opening chapter of the book of Acts, have you ever read this book in just the first few chapters and just see it, what's going on historically? The early church had just been given the, the Great Commission. And uh, now the early church was thriving after Pentecost and stuff. It's thriving. But at the beginning of Acts, everything is taking place in Jerusalem. No one's going anywhere. Yet Jesus said to go into all the world. Everything's just still happening in Jerusalem. So leave it to God to do some pruning. So God sends a man whose name was Saul into the mix. He throws him in there to persecute the church. Hmm. Saul tried to destroy the Christians. He, he succeeded even in killing certain Christians, but God was going to use that for his glory. The result of Paul's actions at the church in Jerusalem and around there was that the church scattered. I mean, they scattered all over. Part of them, if you read through the book of Acts, this is so interesting, part of them went to a city up north called Antioch, and they formed a brand new church there. They settled there and had a new church. You know what happened after that? If you keep reading the book of Acts, Saul later on becomes a Christian himself, changes his name to Paul, and when you're reading Acts, you'll find out he actually attends that same church there in Antioch. 
And it was that church in Antioch that sent him on his first missionary journey. Now, that's an example of God pruning or doing Catharius to us, to us Christians. You see how he uses things like that? It seemed terrible. It seemed a disaster what Saul was going around doing. And, and God was allowing Christians to be prisoned and put in prison and, and to be executed. But it had a purpose that glorified God because the church spread all over then. Yeah, these things are hard to understand sometimes when we talk about pruning. So remember this. God is not capable of evil. No. Evil infects God's world. Now, he can stop it, but because man is sinful in his nature and the abundance of evil is all around us, God can use it for good, like the story with Saul and Acts in the church. You know, it's really hard to grasp that, and some people just really can't grasp how good how a good God can let evil run amok sometimes in the world. And this causes some people to even question if God is even in control or capable of controlling his, his creation. I like how J.I. Packard, he's one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called Great Power. And I want to read you a section out of Packard's book here, because it's talking specifically about this. He writes... Of the evils that infect God's world, moral and spiritual perversity, waste of good, physical disorders, and disruptions of a soiled cosmos, it can similarly be said God permits evil. You can see this in Acts 14, 16. He punishes evil with evil. Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12. Romans chapter 1, 26 through 32. He brings good out of evil. In Genesis 15, 50, 20, Acts 2, 23, Acts 4, 27, and 28, Acts 13, 27, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He uses evil to test and discipline those he loves. It's seen in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, and Hebrews 12, 4 through 14. And one day he will redeem his people from the power and presence of evil altogether. Yes, Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 and 22, verses 14, 15, and 16. The doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces. Fortune, chance, luck, fate, no. All that happens to them is divinely planned. And with each event comes a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is for one's spiritual and eternal good. Romans 8.28 That was J.I. Packer writing that in Great Power. Oh, yes, he writes it very well. Sure, and he gives great examples of God using the pruning knife. But the benefits of this are so worth it, so worth getting pruned. We benefit, of course, and we are blessed. And God benefits too by receiving glory and honor. 
Before I end this session, I want you to see something here that is interesting. I just have been mentioning every now and then about the knife, the way the gardener prunes. What is the knife? What is the tool that God uses to prune us with? Well, that knife is often the Word of God. I've noticed in my own life, in the life of my family, that when pruning comes from God, we often turn to His Word. We seek His Word. We go there for comfort. We go there for understanding. I find that people become very sensitive to the Word in times they're being pruned. It seems that when pruning is taking place, sometimes, maybe you've noticed this too, a verse or two will just leap out of the pages and really impact you. Yes, God does spiritual surgery, if we want to call it that, spiritual surgery, pruning, using this knife called his word. Remember what the writer of Hebrew wrote about this? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it reads, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want to leave you with a quote from the great uh, evangelist and preacher Spurgeon in his book, Spurgeon's Sermons, volume 13. I came across this. And it, um, now, if you don't know, Charles Spurgeon was a great, um, great preacher, and he wrote this concerning this, this topic. It is the word that prunes the Christian. It is the truth that purges him. The scripture made living and powerful by the Holy Spirit cleanses the Christian. Affliction is the handle of the knife. Affliction is the grindstone that sharpens the word. Affliction is the dresser that removes our soft garments and lays bare the diseased flesh so that the surgeon's knife may get at it. Affliction merely makes us ready for the surgery of the Word of God. But the true pruner is the Word in the hands of the great vine dresser. Spurgeon has a way of putting words together and really, really coming to the bare facts of it all. So if you're going through a pruning right now, take heart. It's going to help you produce more fruit. It's not fun to go through. No one really enjoys it that much when we go through pruning. But God, if you're walking close with God, if you're abiding with him, you're going to find out you're going to be producing a lot better fruit. Very likely a lot more fruit too. So take heart if you're going through a pruning. So we pray, oh God, that you would help us in times that we go through pruning. When you use the knife to whittle off things that are hindering us and holding us back, that you will help us through this and to see how you will be glorified through it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me. And I hope you'll tune into the next lesson. Until we meet again, please take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. 
You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give or use the links in the description. Don't forget to leave a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.